Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the F.A. Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series provides full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, keeping you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. Today's talk is by Dr. Kim Coder, who is a professor at the University of Georgia's Warnell School of Forestry and Natural Resources in Athens, Georgia. His topic is Essential Elements of Tree Health. It was originally presented at the ISA International Conference in Parramatta, Australia in July 2011. Well, good afternoon. We, um, we're going to have fun because we get to talk about um, things that uh, I like to term goofy. Sometimes we do goofy things without thinking about what we do. So we're going to talk a little bit about foundation stuff and then uh, the actual symptomology, uh, especially visual symptoms that we have with essential elements that uh, make no sense at all from the tree standpoint or from our appropriate response. So uh, that's what we're going to do and take a look at today. Uh, you do have a couple handouts coming around. If you have the proceedings on the CD, you have a PDF of this, uh, this wonderful, thick, uh, terrible thing called Essential Elements of Tree Health. It's a monograph. Everything I'm going to talk to you today about is in there. Every figure every uh, a worthless piece, all right? If you do not like computers and PDF, I have handouts, all right? So you walk away with something as we talk about there. There should be uh, handouts, and since I'm colorblind, I think one is pink and one is green, okay? Now, I normally do uh, the fall color report for Georgia, and uh, so I, sometimes I get that fall color stuff wrong since I'm colorblind. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, misdiagnosing uh, tree essential elements. Um, as I say, this essential element uh, monograph is in your proceedings. And uh, what, we, or what I attempted to do about a year and a half ago is chase down lab work at, uh, at my own university other universities and private uh, laboratories because we are still involved in some um, uh, goofy things. Now, first thing we have to do is make sure that we look at wood, um, wood, trees and woody stuff. When we're talking about essential elements, we don't care what a petunia does. We don't care what celery does, corn, soybean, the agronomic or horticulture crop of your choice. But a lot of our instructors at our land-grant institutions in the United States come out of those programs. 
So we've got to be very careful about what we're told about essential element deficiencies and toxicities, or we will make mistakes with that. So I have tried to go to essential element researchers that do woodies, not uh, fertilizer researchers that do woodies. There's a difference. If you don't know the difference, you will make the mistake. It's not fertilizer, it's what's essential. So, next thing we're going to uh, worry about is visual symptoms. A lot of the visual symptoms the tree is producing that we for years have had this little uh, dichotomous key and if it looks this way, it must be this and if it looks that way and if it's on the lower leaves or it's the upper leaves or all this goofy stuff, it does not work. You may feel better but it doesn't work. It's nonsense, it's educationally ignorant, and it's based on myth. That's what we're going to try to talk about today. Now, one of the goofy things that we have always had is something called in, in plant nutrition, in tree nutrition and essential elements, is something called the law of the minimum. We'll tell you what's the shortest, the most constraining. And as you're going to see later, if you have something that's minimum, you have just changed five other things. And we'll talk about that when we get there. So again, in labs that help us understand what's the most limiting thing, what's the minimum thing you got, that uh, may not be the truth. It may be a fact, but it won't be the truth about how trees uh, uh, utilize their ecologically viable space, and collect and control essential element resources. So that's where we're headed. If you're in the wrong place, you know, we can, uh, uh, you know, go see something else. But that's what we're going to talk about today. This is a citation of a very short article that was just in the, um, I guess it would have been the April Arborist News. Yeah, April uh, Arborist News. It... Uh, in essence, the same type of uh, a subject. It has some of the stuff. Other tables were not put in because there wasn't room. Again, go to your CD proceedings for this conference, and the whole PDF is there, more than you'd ever want. But we have to, as a forester, we have to keep the pulp prices up, so we want you to print that stuff out on paper, Okay. The last thing I have to do every time I talk about essential elements, I am not selling you anything. All right? I don't have a personal or professional interest in companies, uh, connections, consultants, or anything that's going to recommend you do or add or enrich. I'm just talking about, from an educational standpoint, what the tree needs. All right? There's my disclaimer. Now! First part of this is going to be about the elements themselves. Then we're going to talk about uh, 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 symptoms, and we're going to talk about interactions. So we know that we can find 90 different elements inside a tree. Now there's uh, a couple native elements we can't find because we don't got them on Earth. Don't got. And so everything that's out there will go into a tree. We can find it in trees, and we do. Now. When you talk about what is an element and what's an essential element, 
An element is uh, just one of those basic parts that we build our world around. An essential element for trees is something that is absolutely required for growth, development, and reproduction over many years that cannot be substituted for. And that's a key word. Can we substitute temporarily, mid-term, long-term for that particular element? So remember what an elephant is. Elephant. Remember what an element is. Uh, this is carbon. It's got uh, uh, all these wonderful proton, neutron, electron, stuff that you swore I will never need when I was in school. I will never need this kind of chemistry crap ever again. But uh, here it is. And we got, uh, in carbon's case, we got two electron shells. And you know that the electron isn't just a little piece of something necessarily. It's just an area that has that charge. And in carbon's case, we got four electron holes, places that you could insert an electron or um, shells from another element or something. That's why ele uh, a carbon is kind of like uh, 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 building blocks, tinker toys, where it has four possible connections. It all comes back to uh, what your electron bands are doing. Now, as we get heavier and heavier elements, they have more and more of these shells, and they become less and less valuable over time because they're just too big and fat and they won't fit into the tree. So the lighter elements are what we use in trees. This is uh, the list of elements. Depending upon when you went to school, you probably ended maybe at 103, Laurentium, you know. But you know the Russians and Caltech... They, they go at it pretty hard to figure out we get to name it, we get to have a new element, and so we are now officially up to 111. We're unofficially up to 116 different elements. Now, do we care about that? If it's above molybdenum, which is the heaviest element we use in trees, we don't care. All right? So if somebody says, did you hear they got a new element? We don't care. All right? There's our periodic table of elements. It's on every high school uh, chemistry lab's wall. This is another thing you swore you will never have to use or deal with in your whole life. But uh, here it is again. That's the essential, uh, our, I'm sorry, that's the periodic table of elements. They're periods. Those are the lines across. And then families, the columns up and down. Every element that's in a family shares similar electron um, um, configurations. And you see these two lines on the bottom? Those are things that if we actually put it in the periodic table, it would stretch the table out three screens. So that you have to insert some of those lines back in there. And of course, we're always discovering new stuff. But uh, what do we care about the new elements? Uh, we don't. So uh, when you take a look at those periodic table of elements, we've got alkali metals, things like uh, sodium and potassium. We've got alkaline earth metals. Why they named them one word off, I don't know. The metals in the middle. A lot of those metals are responsible for a lot of our enzymatic systems in trees and can produce toxicity and deficiency symptoms fairly easily. Then we have something called special metals. 
I guess that's, if somebody calls you special, that's not necessarily a compliment. We have metalloids, which means you're kind of a metal, but kind of not. We have the non-metals up there, which includes carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur. We have the halogens. Uh, chlorine is the only one we really worry about right now. And then noble gases, which sit there and look stupid. Right? Rare earths are down here, and again, rare earths. Say it after me. We don't care. Thank you. So, where do the elements come from? When you're thinking about uh, all the elements that we got out there, and somehow we decided to use this set to make trees, uh, it's really uh, the old concept of ash and dust. That's where uh, all these elements came from. From star death and fusion ash, uh, uh, that's where the elements came from. Uh, if we start at the top up there with uh, hydrogen, we melt them together if you want to think about it this way. You fuse them together and every time they fuse, they release a whole bunch of energy down to about iron. By the time you get to iron and you fuse it together, it doesn't produce any energy. And so uh, then we start to uh, have problems with, with stars that produce these things. The stuff that's in the middle, if you sit in a, as an element and get bathed for a hundred years with all the neutrons floating around inside the, uh, a star core, one of those neutrons may kind of decay away and produce a proton. And of course we count protons uh, as the number for the element, and so we can increase inside that star core, it's called beta minus decay, we don't care, uh, uh, up to bismuth, all right? And beyond that, we take a massive star collapse and explosion, uh, the supernova, to make all these other things up to uranium. Now, there is an element just above uranium that we can occasionally and rarely find in uh, ore in, 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 uh, uh, on Earth. But uh, normally we say the last native element is uranium. Everything else is human-made. Now, let's look at trees because we don't want to look at the periodic table anymore. Uh, in trees, remember what we're dealing with. We've got 80% of the variation in tree growth, 80% of what we see in tree is water-related. Soil, water-related. Then we've got 19% of tree mass that comes from an invisible gas in this room, CO2. And it sounds like that maybe in the near future we'll have a lot more of it to grow our trees faster. We'll just have to see. And then 1% or less comes from essential elements in the soil. That's what we're going to deal with today. And you can raise your hand and say, aren't we chasing a trivial minutia and trivial pursuit? That's true, except that if you ain't got that stuff, you still don't get a tree. If you've got 80% water, 19% carbohydrate uh, from CO2, and you ain't got copper, you ain't going to get a tree. So again, even though it's a small proportion, it's critically important, some of these elements, to tree life and health. So here is our magic 19. Now, if you grew up and said, well, now, when I grew up, it was 14. Well, then you're really old, no offense. 
if you grew up and remember the days of 16, you know, well, congratulations. You know, it's time to buy a new book. And this is my commercial portion. The Australian chapter will sell you new books out there, okay? Please buy. Buy big and buy often. Here's our 19 essential tree elements, and I always include water as an essential element. We'll talk about that later. But here are our 19, uh, and most of the time in these slides, I'll be using the symbols for the elements. And uh, uh, on one of your handouts, you can look down and make sure that you, you know which symbol I'm talking about. But uh, we have, uh, starting up there at the top, uh, in alphabetical order, boron to zinc. It's not A to Z, it's just B to Z. And we have these things, and they all do something. Some of them do major multiple things. Some of them may only do one or two things. But everything they do is essential. Everything they do, the tree must have if they're going to live, grow, reproduce for a long period of time, and the element can't be substituted for. So here are our 19 that we're going to worry about. The rest of the time, we're going to talk about those. So what is an essential element? As I say, it's required. It's a required thing for normal tree growth and reproduction over many years. Now, because there are some small amounts of element in seeds, sometimes the, the, the seedling will come out and grow for the first year, first two years, and still be recycling uh, essential elements that came out of the seed. But yet, they will quickly die because there's not any of that element on site. That's why it says over many years. The other thing that's the uh, caveat down at the bottom is it says it can't be substituted for. Well, what, is, what does that mean? The classic example, the classic thing that we have from tree essential elements is manganese. Manganese, a metal partially substitutes for both iron, another metal, and magnesium. And when you're looking at manganese and magnesium, other than getting them confused because they start with M, uh, that doesn't, I can see manganese and iron. What's the deal with magnesium? It is amazing because of the density, the oxidation states, and the size. It's physical chemistry. Physical chemistry of manganese and magnesium, they can substitute partially for each other for a short while. And so sometimes you will have a mang manganese deficiency, and as long as you got plenty of uh, magnesium, it may go that way. Or if we're short of magnesium and got plenty of manganese, it will be substituted for. But both of them are essential to long-term tree growth and reproduction. Now, how do we determine an essential element? You go out, you plant a tree, and you control everything that it gets, either through the atmosphere, pollution, soil, soil water, precipitation. And if you have something 
that is allowing the tree to grow and you just keep adding more and more and more and more and more of it and all of a sudden the tree is going downhill and not growing, that's a toxicity. And that is probably an element that is non-essential. But if you have nothing, you can guarantee it at parts per trillion, you have none of that element in there and you start to add it, you're going to start to see an increase in growth and an increase in growth and an increase. And eventually you'll peak out. And if you continue to add it, it may start to go back down again. That is the classic demonstration of an essential element. Because first you're deficient, then you're adequate, then you're toxic. Every other element out there will primarily be toxic only. There won't be that initial startup to adequate. That's how we tell what an essential element is. And now in the research for essential elements in Woody's, it's getting tough. Because you have to have clean labs, you have to have clean greenhouses, green tests, uh, very clean uh, facilities, so you don't have all kinds of strange elements coming in, messing up your experiments. So, it's either deficient, adequate, or toxic. Too much or too little is going to kill you dead. You know, it's kind of like uh, if we place you out in the middle of the, uh, the ditch between here and the Kiwis, you're floating around. Someone could say, well, you know, you're in the, the ocean. Water is not your problem. Well, I would beg to differ. I think water is your problem. It's the wrong kind of water. There's other things in the water. And you're going to have too much of it around you and not enough to drink. So too much or too little is going to kill you. And as we look now at essential elements, we've got to keep that in mind is that we manage the recipe for the tree. You are a cook just like on all these television stations showing you how to make this or make that. If you don't follow the recipe, no one's going to want to eat that crap. Okay? You are the maker of a recipe for a long, sustainable life tree. That's where we're going. All right. So here is... Uh, a general element curve that we have out there when we're testing for essential elements. And again, over there, as we start from uh, a relative essential element concentration, as we get to about 20%, we're going to call that deficient. There's just not enough to make a living for a tree. Then we're going to move into what's called adequate, up to about 50%. And beyond about 50% relative concentration, uh, we're going to hit a place that's called superabundance. And in most elements, that might be a problem. In some elements, it doesn't matter. And then if we get too high a level at 75%, we start to get toxic and growth falls off fast. We got too much. Too much or too little going to kill you. Now, there, in a lot of elements... This hump between deficiency and toxicity is fairly wide like this. But there are some elements, like some of the metals, that look like this. The difference between deficiency and toxicity is that much. 
And so if you are making the recipe for the tree, if you're managing the tree health and growth, it's not going to take much error and you're going to kill it or you'll cause it to be deficient in whatever it is. Copper is the great example. A little bit of copper is pretty good and essential. Just a little bit more will kill you dead. And this narrow peak, essential element curve, we got to keep remembering that as we tune the essential elements that's in a soil and going into our tree. Now, some of those essential elements, we've got old elements that, uh, you know, we figured out we, uh, nitrogen was an essential element a long time ago, phosphorus, sulfur, all those big things uh, uh, we needed a lot of. Well, we figured out those are the old elements, but we've had some new ones that came up. One of the new ones that is needed in quite high levels in a relative sense is chlorine. And we didn't discover that until 54. Now for some of you in this hall, you say 54, that is a long time ago. That's ancient history. But in uh, uh, 87, at the Byron Fruit and Nut, Fruit and Nut Station, that's honestly its name, in Byron, Georgia, uh, they figured out that uh, nickel is essential. How much nickel do you need? That much. But you still need a little bit. And that was in 87. Now, we still have ongoing research that are starting to discover in woody plants, especially other woody plants. We figured out there's some other things that are essential. Are they essential in trees? No one's going to pay for that research in trees. That's why we have the tree fund. This is my other commercial. Please give to the tree fund because we need answers to a lot of questions that will help us maintain better care for our trees and our customers. So we've got new elements. This is one that I pulled out of the literature. This is for uh, uh, essential elements potentially playing a role in trees, but they have not been confirmed. But the reason they're on here is they have been confirmed in other plant systems. Now, usually I stayed away from diatoms. Most algaes, I, if it was essential in algae, I threw it away. But these elements have been confirmed one way or the other in other uh, plant systems, not necessarily woodies. But if you look down there, there's aluminum. Usually we think in the soil of aluminum, aluminum as being serious bad toxic. Uh, arsenic, you know, competing with nitrogen, that, that's serious. And over here is potential tree use, what the tree would use that for. Fluorine, the most electronegativity or negative thing that you can get. You need it for your teeth, but my gosh, that sounds strange to have it in trees. Iodine. A lot of people, because it's an essential element in humans, they always dump it into trees anyway, but it has not been confirmed as essential in trees. Selenium, uh, where we have desert plants, dry uh, land plants, uh, uh, and in some, uh, some dry land woodies, we've confirmed selenium is essential to them, but not in all. Sodium uh, is an osmoticum. What does that mean? That just means... It helps you keep your, your life balanced. 
from a water and an ion standpoint. Uh, uh, titanium, the stuff you make a submarine out of and go chasing people with. And then vanadium, another metal. Uh, uh, most people have never heard of or ran into vanadium. But uh, as an example, we're going to pick on vanadium for just a moment, okay? Is it essential in trees? At this moment, no. But if you look, there is one, there is one step in photosynthesis that has an enzyme that uses vanadium. But it can be substituted for by other metals. Now, the tree, if it was essential, would need two parts per billion vanadium. And in most soils, almost every soil of earth you could grab that hasn't been artificially made, there's going to be at least one part per million vanadium in it. So the soil, the environment, has a whole bunch more than the tree would ever need. And now you see the problem with the research in essential elements. Could you ever have a deficiency of vanadium? Well, it's conceivable. But how are we going to prove it's essential when the environment has so much of it relative to what the tree needs? That's why we have grant tenure and have PhDs doing that, because they have nothing better to do, okay? So within our uh, professional life, you may hear of vanadium. And uh, I'm really tempted to say I don't care about that either. So what I did is I stripped out the families, the lines and the columns of uh, every uh, place that didn't have anything to do with trees. So here is my, you can see it goes one, two, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, these are the places that we find tree essential elements in the periodic table. Now, is there a value in having it in the periodic table? Yeah, I guess there is. You can keep track of which family belongs where. You can understand that if you have an essential element, any element below it or above it is in its same family and can mess with the processes, the enzymes, the systems that that one, the essential one, is needed for. So uh, uh, if you take a look at all of these little family groups, we get something like this. So uh, in the same group as potassium, we've got cesium. In uh, the same group as magne uh, magnesium and uh, calcium, alkali earth metals, we've got strontium. And those are nasty things. They mess systems up. They change proteins. They change enzymes. Uh, under boron, we've got uh, aluminum. And then look under carbon. We got silicon. Under silicon and carbon, valuable things, we have got tin and lead. Why does lead, why is lead so toxic? Because it's in the same family group and messes with us on carbon. If you come over here farther, nitrogen and phosphorus, the same family. But that also has arsenic in it. Arsenic will tear you up. Now, if you get down here to this end under zinc, zinc is a really interesting metal because it has one primary oxidation state. It doesn't jump around like the others. 
It, it is a unique metal, and in its same family, cadmium and mercury. Kill you dead. Kill you dead. And uh, this is the problem that we have, especially in brownfield sites and urban sites. We have a lot of heritage left over of heavy metals and other family members that mess with our trees. And many times you don't know they're there unless you look for them. All right. This is a list. It says toxic impact on trees by selected native elements. So, of all those family members that have the worst toxicity in trees, I pulled these out, and if you look down it, it starts at aluminum again. Uh, there's arsenic again. Oh my gosh, there's boron in there. Because you get a little bit too much boron, and it will kill you. It can become toxic. There's copper in there. I told you about the copper. All right? Fluorine is in there, iodine, gold. We've got some membrane problems with gold. That would be a good problem to have, I guess, in humans. Uh, lead and lithium, mercury. Silver, uh, it messes with sulfur. And so sulfur is, you know, a serious thing, just like nitrogen. And so you don't want uh, silver messing that up. There's titanium and tungsten. And you get down here to zirconium that messes up phosphate. So the point is, these are things that provide a toxic impact on trees. And when you go to soil work or tissue work and do tests, and something comes back and says, well, we got high zirconium, that should automatically pop out and say, oh, man, we are going to have a potential for toxicity of this element and an interaction with phosphates. And that will mess us up. All right, now as some of you that are not asleep at this moment, some of you may have said, now wait a minute, uh, uh, Kim, uh, weren't there both in potentially toxic, I'm sorry, potentially essential and toxic, weren't there multiples in that same list? Welcome to a tree's world. This is elements listed as both potentially essential and Definitely toxic in trees. At the head of the list, aluminum and arsenic. Boron and copper are essential, but you get just a touch too much and they'll kill you. Fluorine, iodine, selenium, sodium, and titanium are on both lists. Potentially essential, but just a touch and it becomes toxic. So uh, that's why they need the trees and our clients need us because we must make the recipe for sustainable trees and it starts in that soil so we're going to uh, chase something else right now that's goofy this is in your handout we used to have people that talked about macro and micro oh it's a macro element and it's a micro element and let's see i had to write it on my hand for a test you know oh, yeah macro uh it's yeah, it's uh, down to chlorine? No. Micro and macro doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not descriptive, it's not functional, because they're all essential. And so what you really need to do is 
divide it by how much you need. You need a mega element is carbon, hydrogen, and uh, oxygen. I can, I can understand mega. And that's the average in a tree, parts per million, and this is the relative proportion in the tree based on uh, a carbon and oxygen being one million. All right? So the one on the right-hand side is a very common thing that we use in agronomic crops too. But I have tweaked it slightly to work with woodies and trees. So then we have the mira, the kilo, the hecto, the deca, and the deci. If you use the functional names, you know how much you're supposed to have. Micro and macro don't mean diddly. I don't know if you've ever used the word in Australia, diddly, but it means nothing. Don't mean squat. Oh, diddly squat. Okay. So here we have all of our essential elements in order of uh, um, uh, the proportion that we need them in, uh, which is over here. And you can see, once we get down to nickel and cobalt, uh, uh, it's very, very little. Molybdenum, uh, we had a root rot problem one time that we didn't realize the root rot was working. And so we kept having an uh, element shortage come back and say molybdenum is short. What do you mean molybdenum is short? You can take a salt shaker of molybdenum on four acres and make up the difference. But what was happening is the root tips were being killed by the root rot. And every three years when they did a, a soil and tissue test, it said something new was short. They spent all their time changing elements when they should have been combating root rot, and in that case, drainage. And this was a very, very famous place. I can't tell you because then I'd get in trouble. But it's a major golf course, world venue. <laughs> can't tell you where. But now, those trees are under much better care than they were in the old days. So, did that get me off the hook? So, when we talk about the functional use of trees, the functional use of elements in trees, uh, could we use functional terms rather than made-up terms? Because what does macro mean? What does micro mean? They're all needed in, in, in micro amounts, I guess. And some of them are needed in much bigger proportions. Why would you draw a line anywhere? Call them what they are. That way you can keep track of proportionally how much you need. All right. There is my medallion. All right. Since coming to Australia, I love eating lamb medallions on the spit, you know. But uh, this is a medallion. You start in the middle and you... You go uh, uh, rotate out and do a spiral. And if I was actually an artist, I would have made a spiral, but this is the best I can do. I went to forestry school, not art school. Okay? So you got the, the three biggies, the megas, there in the middle. And as you go out, they get less and less and less proportionally. They're still essential. And again, look at nickel and cobalt at the very end. Now, one of those, chlorine, is a very unique thing because it wasn't discovered till late. And we need it in a fairly large amount uh, on a relative basis. Why? Because 
It's the first step in photosynthesis. It's how we decay water to get the electrons to fire in chlorophyll. And we didn't know it till late. So again, be prepared for new things to come up in trees because it's always neat stuff. Now, as we, uh, 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 well, I've got this taped to my bedroom ceiling. I used to have a mirror, but those days are gone, right? All right, we're done with the element stuff, okay? So throw that all away, breathe a sigh of relief. Let's talk about the two major diagnosis problems that we have dealing with elements in trees. The first one is the interactions of them. They interact in availability in the soil. They interact even inside the tree and in the cell. And you have a handout of this. This is a uh, uh, interactions, and if it, you see an A, that means they're antagonistic. They're antagonistic, they don't get along. If one goes up, one goes down. The other one that says S means they're synergistic. You add one, they both go up in availability. Now, why, dear goodness, why is there AS? Because the research shows they go both ways. They cannot agree on which way they go. So if the research said, in this case it was antagonistic, in this way it was synergistic, I put that down for you. Now, when you're looking at this, and if you're a purist, if you're a statistician, if you are a person that really loves this kind of stuff, this is a covariance matrix. What does that mean? That means there's nothing up there you can touch, add, or take away that doesn't change almost everything else. That's the point. And that's why this law of the minimum, law of limitations, that's why that doesn't work effectively because when you add one thing or take one thing away, you change everything else. It's a massive covariance matrix that continues to change and evolve even through the life of the tree. Now, why doesn't it say, well, you know, that A right there, if you add, uh, uh, well, let's pick on something. If you add uh, potassium uh, uh, to the soil, we, we have some antagonistic problems with zinc. Why don't you put a number there? We, we don't know that number. We know that number for some horticulture crops. We know that for some agronomic crops, when you have one genotype, one clone throughout the whole field. How many eukes you got in uh, 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 Oz? Yeah, you don't even know. They keep, they keep splitting and dividing because the botanist needs something to do. Do we know what that matrix looks like for those trees? No. So what I'm trying to do is get you started to think about how you tune, ecologically tune, the site around a tree. Because there is no minimum thing. It's when you add something, what else did you change? If you've got five uh, balls in the air and you're juggling really nice and we add a sixth one or we take one out, let's hope that you can keep juggling all of them. 
Maybe that's not a good example. But uh, uh, that's what this um, is trying to show you. We'll use an example. This is manganese because we mentioned manganese as a substitute earlier. Um, here is all the elements on the left-hand side. The plus N is ammonium. The minus N is nitrate. And here is availability for all of those. You can see there's a bunch of uh, uh, antagonistic relationship between, you know, iron and manganese. Yet you do one, the availability of the other changes for the negative. And uh, uh, as you look down through this whole list, there are some things that we don't know enough to know if it's antagonistic or synergistic. Now, I did leave a few out that we don't have any research on at all of what kind of interaction it has. Is. It has. Is. It has. Now, again, you can go to this, look up the references, see these things, and uh, figure out in your life what you want to believe. Here's one for uh, nitrate and ammonium. If we add one, here's what happens to some of those, ele uh, some of those other elements. Gee, when would we be able to add N, P, and K, and what would it do? Ecologically, do you know what it does for soil availability of these elements? You better, because that's part of the health care, uh, premium health care of trees. In this particular case, you can see that uh, sometimes nitrate and ammonium are, are opposites. One is synergistic, one is antagonistic, and sometimes they're the same. When they're the same, that's a peculiar thing. Like with zinc. Both nitrogens mess with zinc. And if you look at the chemical uh, form of zinc, its density, its reactivity, its physical chemistry stuff when it's in an ion form, that's a peculiar thing. All right, so let's talk about interactions. Again, one of the classic misdiagnosis. Misdiagnosis, the wrong diagnosis is when we misdiagnose a manganese deficiency as magnesium, iron, or sulfur. You come back and say, well, you know, the availability, we run some tests, I think it's iron. So you add iron. You, you treated a symptom, you didn't treat a cause. You may not have even treated a symptom. It still shows you a problem. So you go in there and say, oh, you know, I made a mistake, it must be magnesium, I'll add some dolomitic limestone or something. Problem's still there because it's manganese that's deficient. These other things are showing up also. Let's do this one, P and K. Gee, do we ever add P and K to uh, phosphorus and potassium? If you enrich it, on a site, there is a tendency to lower the availability of copper, an essential element, an essential metal. If we enrich then with copper, we get a decline in zinc and molybdenum. Now, do you see where I'm going here? You go out, sit on your porch, look at your tree, beverage of your choice, and say, well now, this one went up, and then uh, I added this one, and then that one down. This went sideways. This went, oh my gosh, you stabbed me in the heart. That's the point. 
I'm trying to make is that this is a complex subject that in the past has been treated like the most simple grade school arithmetic problem, and it's not. Let's look at uh, something else. Oh, and when you enrich copper, there's our manganese interaction down at the bottom. Let's uh, take a look at zinc. We need that zinc. It does critically important things, and if you enrich it on the site, we get potassium, calcium, magnesium decline. But if you also add zinc with a tiny bit of cobalt, it minimizes that effect. Now, wait a minute. Wouldn't I dissipate that effect by adding potassium, calcium, magnesium? Yeah. Cobalt reduces it, especially in anaerobic conditions. You got flooded trees. You're starting to pop out. Uh, uh, some of these things, a little bit of cobalt will bring some of this a little bit back into form, into shape, into proportion. And then uh, uh, if we let zinc decline or become more and more deficient, we get a nickel deficiency, a critical uh, important enzyme nickel's in, and we tend to increase the availability of phosphorus. And all we did was uh, uh, allow zinc to become a little bit more deficient. Let's look at another one, Mag uh, magnesium. The racetrack in the head of a chlorophyll that allows these electrons from light being bumped around to be captured requires that single nitrogen with four prongs, I'm sorry, a single magnesium with four prongs of nitrogen holding it in position. If we have too much magnesium, uh, we're going to show calcium and potassium deficiency. Deficiency. What's another one? Here's a cobalt. You enrich cobalt, iron declines, zinc increases. We add too much cobalt and it doesn't take much. We're going to mimic iron and manganese deficiency. All right, are you saying give up, I give up, I give up? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Calcium, cobalt, potassium, magnesium, moly, uh, sulfur uh, will increase in availability, have a tendency to increase in availability with nitrate. These others will have a tendency to decrease at the same time. The fabric of the soil and all of its essential elements that it provides to the tree is this fabric that constantly changes. You run your finger over it, it's changed. You add up here, something down here changes. It's constantly in flux. It's constantly changing. You have to manage it to have a great and sustainable tree. So, let's put dolomitic limestone on, calcium, magnesium. And you know in a soil that the calcium magnesium uh, gets, uh, uh, depending upon the soil, gets dissolved out and moved out uh, quicker. The magnesium comes out quicker than the calcium. So you get a phosphorus decline because you added calcium. 
you get a phosphorus increase because you added magnesium. And because the calcium and magnesium are leaving the soil at different rates and changing, you get a changing phosphorus. It's not balanced. It goes up and down and round. How are you going to manage it? How are you going to pay attention, keep track, make that recipe? All right, we're done with the interaction. Congratulations, you made it. All right, let's talk about the second diagnosis problem, that's tree symptoms. I must have looked at, with land grants and private labs, and then a few consultants, which I stole their stuff, and I can't tell you which ones they were because I stole their stuff. I looked at some of these uh, symptom recognition, visual symptom recognition things on essential elements. Some are just the most basic, you know, if it's darker green, it's this. Well, what does that mean, darker green? Darker green than what? And so uh, we have some problems here. This is, I believe, on one of your handouts. This is deficiencies and tree symptoms. Not plant symptoms, but tree symptoms. So in the whole tree, if you look up at the top, it's, and again, it's in your handout, so you don't have to strain your eyes, but uh, stunted and damaged uh, roots, for example. Look at all the elements that would cause that same symptom. If you go up here and look at shoots, stunted and damaged and killed shoots, look at the elements that if they are deficient will cause that symptom, that visual symptom. It's not a element. I don't know if you have that uh, term here in Australia. It's a crap load of elements. All right? That's a scientific term we've coined at the University of Georgia. Right? But look down here on leaves. We're going to pick on general chlorosis. All right, look at chlorosis. What's one of the first things that do because the tree does because chlorophyll is, is such a terrible thing to keep maintained? It goes yellow. It is chlorotic. What elements cause chlorosis? Well, damn near all of them. But yet we have keys that talk about that. And they say, oh, well, you know, if it's this one, it's on old tissue, it's this, or if it's on new tissue, it's that. That's not what the tree's actually showing you. Here's leaves, and there's our chlorosis. Look at all of those things. Some are needed in a lot, big proportion. Some are needed, needed in a small proportion. My point is that many elements elicit the same set of deficiency symptoms in trees across a whole bunch of different kinds of trees. So there's not one cause and effect for this symptom. There are many things that can cause the same symptom in trees. Now, some people have always said, well, you know, if it's in the old tissue, that means it's mobile, you know? Or the deficient, I'm sorry, the deficiency symptom develops in older tissue. So that means it's pulling it out to the new tissue. That means that the element is mobile. Or if you see the symptom in new tissue, 
And a lot of keys, a lot of assessment keys have this. If it's only in the new tissue that's coming out, that means the element is probably immobile, and this is probably what it is. If you look at element mobility inside a tree, goofy. This stuff is goofy. All right, so if you look at an example, symptom of the tree, new tissue dominant, where the symptom of deficiency arose, old tissue dominant, all tissues equal, or something called intermediate. I had to have an intermediate because some of the research was not explicit about where they were finding some of these deficiencies. But look at old and new tissue. These are supposed to be immobile. These are supposed to be mobile. Old, new tissue. Look at the number of elements that could cause that same symptom. Something happening in old tissue or new tissue. So our conclusion is goofy. Now we'll just look quick at toxicity. Now, we don't have a lot of information on tree toxicity like we do on deficiency. But on the stuff that I was able to find, look down here at leaves. The first one, color problem, chlorosis. Look at the number of things that when they're toxic causes chlorosis. Now, the astute of you out there, again, have said, well, wasn't deficiency and toxic of the same elements on there? Bingo. There's our chlorosis up there. And if you look at what was the same, those eight elements, they tend to show you the same leaf symptom, whether they're toxic or deficient. What the devil uses an assessment? All right. Same tree symptom could have a lot of different causes. And we haven't got into pathogens, abiotic, insects, mites. We haven't got into some of these other things. The root rots tearing your, your absorbing surface up. Multiple symptoms uh, by the tree and multiple causes. I'm sorry, multiple causes, one symptom. All right, so what is the meaning of a tree symptom? Um, uh, when we have deficiency symptom keys or toxicity symptom keys from agricultural field crops or horticultural bench crops, uh, that usually means it's poor for trees. We can get away with generally kind of using it. But by gosh, we need to develop that on our own for trees. Or we will always be misdiagnosing what's out there. All right, I'm done. It's conclusions. What we're going to do is uh, uh, just try to relax. I'm going to try to cool down. And uh, remember that the two things you need to worry about if you are a professional tree healthcare professional are element interactions, the effect availability, and limited tree symptom presentation. Limited tree presentation of symptoms because many elements can cause the same thing. Many of those uh, visual assessment guides will uh, cause us to misdiagnose for a while, forever, and apply appropriate response errors. Okay? So visual symptoms, if 
you will take my word and trust me for one thing. Never, and look that up, <laughs> never use visual assessments. They don't mean anything. You can make bad mistakes. Now, if we're going to add essential elements, and in, we, we have to, we have to enrich in some cases, but that requires ecologically tuning. Ecologically tuning and balancing the things that we didn't touch when we put something on. So, if we have deficient, toxic, or adequate, because of the interactions, you got to test. You got symptoms similar for many elements, you test. Some symptoms, the same deficiency or toxic, test. Are you seeing a pattern develop here? <laughs> Tree healthcare using visual symptoms is error filled and damaging. Say it with me test. So, we're going to do a soil test to check availability and toxicity. We're going to do a tissue test to do deficiency. That's how we can find out what the real answer is, not the goofy answer. There is um, my other artwork of all 19. Feel free to uh, like make a poster of it or put it on your back of your motorcycle uh, leather and say that you are a czar or czarina of essential element health in trees. Thanks. This concludes Dr. Kim Coder's talk on essential elements of tree health. If you would like to learn more about tree nutrition and fertilization, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store and the online learning center, including Fertilization, the online course, and Tree and Shrub Fertilization Best Management Practices. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA6340. Again, SA6340. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our sponsor, the F.A. Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees you know we can, work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.